0: All right, good evening, everybody. I've got 7 o'clock, so we will uh, we'll go ahead and get started. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be uh, in one verse. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2, the title of our lesson is Change Your Mind. Now, tonight, before I get started, I'm going to do something that's a little unusual, and something I don't often ask you to do, uh, but I'm going to ask you to give your utmost attention to this verse. This verse, I can't stress enough how important and how critical and how foundational this verse is to living the Christian life. Um, if, if you're living what if you're living what I did for so long, uh, what I would just call the nominal Christian life, just getting by. Uh, this verse can change that. If you want to live, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you may have it more abundantly. If you want that abundant Christian life, this verse will tell you how how to get that. If you want to be changed, if you want to be transformed into a person that loves to do what they ought to do, this verse will do that for you. It's that important. So when I ask you to give your utmost attention, I don't just mean here tonight I want you to pay attention because you guys always do that. What I mean is when you leave here, I don't want you to just leave here tonight and say, that was good. And trust me, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But I don't want you to just leave here and say, that was good. I want you to leave here, and I want you to go home, and I want you to meditate on this. I want you to read that verse again. I want you to think about it. I want you to talk about it with your spouse and your friends. I want you to, if you will, rewatch it again. Think about what this verse is going to say, because it is that important. And it's got that much power to change your uh, life. Now, as we get started, I'm going to go back to verse 1, because the, verse 1 and verse 2 are directly connected. Let's read verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Paul, last week, wants us to understand that true worship is more than just singing songs on Sunday morning. True worship is more than lifting your hands. True worship is, is more than giving your your money. Now, by the way, those are all forms of worship, but true worship has to go beyond that. True worship involves you and i you and I from Monday to Saturday, living a holy lifestyle, okay? And the nuts and bolts of that means this. That means giving your members, your eyes, your, your ears, your, your tongue, your sexual organs, your, your hands, your feet, giving those to be used righteously and not to be used as instruments of sin. That's what that means. Live a holy lifestyle. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Anything less than that is hypocrisy. Jesus said in Matthew 15, talking to the Pharisees, he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now listen, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't think you do either. I I want to live a holy lifestyle. I want to put my body as a living sacrifice. I want to give back to him because of the mercy of, That He's extended to me. I want to do that. I know you want to do that, but if we're going to do that, we're going to have to change. The vast majority of us, if we're going to do this, if we're going to live this Christian life to the utmost, we are going to have to change. There's some of you here who have not been saved very long, and you're probably saying, yeah, man, I need to change, right? I'm, I'm fighting these battles, and I need to change, but I got news for you. I've been saved 45 plus years and I still need to change. I'm not hitting the ball out of the park. I'm not living the the holy lifestyle to the uttermost that I can. I still need to change. We all can do better. We can all give more back when it comes to our our bodies and and the things we listen to and, and, and speak of and participate in. We're going to have to change. And that's what this verse is all about changing so that we can give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's read Romans twelve two. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, the New Living Tra- Translation says this, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, this verse is absolutely packed full of truth, okay? So let's just start at the top. The first thing he says is this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world put you into a box and say, you've got to conform and act this way. You've got to conform to our behaviors and our customs and our ways. Don't do that. Don't copy those things. Now listen, that sounds like a simple command, doesn't it? But that's not simple at all. It's not simple at all. That's not cut and dried. In fact, it raises all kind of questions when you think about it. Specifically, how does it relate to other commands that Paul gives? Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, that doesn't quite go together when you think about it. Paul says, I have I, I, I become all things to all people so that all means. That kind of sounds like he's willing to conform, doesn't it? And in fact, if, if that's not conforming, then why isn't it? How about this one, 1 Corinthians 10, 32 to 33? Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So on one hand, he says, don't be conformed to the world. On the other hand, he says, don't offend people and try to please everyone. Now, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I'm here to tell you this. You cannot always please people if you don't conform to their behavior and their customs and their ways, they will be offended with you. So which is it here? What's going on? Is Paul talking out of both sides of his mouth? Is he giving us conflicting statements? Well, the answer to that, of course, is no. Of course he's not. This is the Word of God. Paul is an apostle. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Holy Scripture. What Paul is doing is Paul is holding two Christian principles in balance, okay? A guy by the name of Andrew Walls, and he wrote a book called The Missionary Movement in Christian History, and he gave a name to these two principles. He calls one the native principle or the indigenous principle, and we're going to call it native because indigenous is just hard to say. So one side is the native principle. The other he calls the pilgrim principle. So the native principle is this. You and I have to live in this culture, do we not? And we have to find a place, and the gospel has to find a place in the culture. You're sitting here tonight, you're not wearing clothes from the 1820s. You're not wearing clothes from the 1920s. You're, you're wearing clothes that are uh, coming to the 2020s. You are fitting into the culture, and that's perfectly okay. We have to live here and work here and marry here and play here and... And, and die here. We have to become part of the culture to some extent. That's the native principle. On the other hand, we're not of this world. I'm just passing through. The Bible calls us strangers and aliens and, 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 and exiles in our own country, uh, in our own uh, world. We're, we're looking for another city. We're looking for another country. That's called the pilgrim principle. Now, these two principles are always in tension with one another. And what makes it hard for us is deciding what to do. Do I go this far this way or do I go this far that way? What's right and what's wrong? And by the way, you can go too far both ways. You can be too pilgrim. A great example of that is the Amish. They actually do dress like it's 1820. And they live like it's 1820. And they farm like it's 1820. They have completely separated themselves from the culture. They've gone too Pilgrim. And by the way, the culture doesn't pay them any attention. They look at them as an oddity, but they're not going to listen to the gospel from them. They're not going to listen to anything they say because they're too different. On the other hand, you can go too native. You can be too open and too welcoming, and too tolerant of the culture. You can just let culture come in, and, and you're at that point, by the way, nobody listens to you either because you're not any different from them. Why should I listen to you? You're no different from me. So the danger is you're too pilgrim or you're too native. Now let me just show you this from Scripture so you don't think I'm just making all of this stuff up out of a, out of a book. I'll give you an example. The first one is very well known. This is Jesus. He says, This, you are in the world, but you are not what? Of, of the world. John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I ask, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In other words, Lord, I'm not, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Leave them here. They gotta live here and and preach here and suffer here and raise families here and work here and die here. Leave them in the world. That's the native principle but yet they're not of the world. They're not like the world. They're not the same substance as the world. That's the pilgrim principle. How about this one from the Apostle Paul? I call this one associate, but don't participate. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Paul says this, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That would be what? That would be the pilgrim principle, right? Be separate. Don't, Don't participate in the unclean things. Be separate. But Paul limits the separation. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But he says, I didn't all mean the sexually immoral people of the world. Because to do that, you'd have to get out of the world. See, Paul understands you're going to have to live in the culture. You're going to have to associate with sexual immoral people on the job and at the bank and in the grocery store and, and at family reunions and sometimes in your own household. He understands that. He's not, he's not, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us to be like the, the Amish. We are to separate um, or, or we are to, as he said, associate, but don't participate. I'll give you one more. Paul says, mind your own business except when you shouldn't. Mind your own business, except when you shouldn't. First Thessalonians four, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. Mind your own business. That's the that's the the uh, the pilgrim. Stay stay quiet. Don't don't be a busybody. Don't get up in everybody's business. Don't be trying to do all that kind of thing, except when you shouldn't. Ephesians five says this: The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Take no f- part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead. Expose them. See, sometimes we are to be minding our own business, but sometimes we got to get involved. Sometimes we got to call people out. Sometimes we have to expose. So mind your own... See, so everybody see the, the tension here between those two? We're, we're not too pilgrim. We're not like the Amish. We don't pull ourselves away like that. At the same time, we, we can't be too accepting and too open and too tolerant of anything that the culture says or does or believes. Now, here's the question. How do we balance these two? That's the question for us. How do you you know what to do in all the situations that come up every single day? That's exactly what Romans 12.2 tells us how to do. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God for you, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, Paul understands that you're going to walk through life and you're going to come up into all these situations and you've got to figure it out on the fly. What is, is this the will of God or is this not the will of God? Paul says, don't be conformed. Be transformed by, by the renewal of your mind, and we'll come back to that, so that by testing you can figure those situations out. You see, here's the deal. Most things in this life are not inherently evil ...or inherently good. Do you understand that? Music, not inherently bad, not inherently good. Um, money, right? It's just money's money. It's not inherently good, it's not inherently bad. Sex is not inherently good, it's not inherently bad. It's all about how it's used. You can use money for good. You can use it in the side of the will of God. You can use it for righteousness. At the same time, you can use it for bad purposes... Sex is the same way, used within the confines of marriage. It's a wonderful and good and perfect and acceptable thing. Use it outside of that, outside of God's will. It's not good. It's not acceptable. And and far from being perfect, it will destroy. See, the things themselves aren't necessarily good or bad. It's how they're used. Now, I I threw a third one in there that seems kind of weird, right? Where did circumcision come from? Well, the reason I threw that in there is because I want to give you an example of the Apostle Paul. There's a situation in the Bible, circumcision by itself is just the cutting of the flesh, it's nothing good or bad, I mean, it's just it's what it is, right? But there's a situation in the Bible where Paul chose not to circumcise somebody, and there's another situation where he chose to circumcise somebody. I want to show you what I mean. Here's the first one where he saw it as not God's will, Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 4. Paul says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So Paul's been out for 14 years. He's been traveling the, the country. He's been establishing churches. He's got Gentiles getting saved left and right. And so he decides, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and I'm going to meet with the pillars of the church. I mean, he's talking about Peter and James and John, the apostles. And he said, he said I'm going to go up and I'm going to tell them what God has given me, this gospel of, 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 of uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So he takes, up, he takes with him this guy named T- uh, Titus who was a Gentile. Okay, not a Jew, a, a complete 100% Gentile. And he takes him up there with him and he says this, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. So he's got this guy with him who's a Gentile, and these guys come in, these false brothers, and they say, you've got to circumcise him. If you really want to be a Christian, you've got to have a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. you got to circumcise that guy. And Paul says, ain't no way. No way. You are not, I, we are free. We are saved by grace alone. You will not draw me back or draw anyone back into the slavery of the law. And Paul refused to have that man circumcised. At the same time, there's another situation where he did the exact opposite. Acts 16, one through 3. It says this, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So here's Timothy. You all know his story. His mom's a Jew. His dad's a Greek, a Gentile. His mom raised him under the Scriptures. She taught him the Scriptures, but his dad would not allow him to be circumcised, just would not do it for whatever reason. We don't know. So he's a young man by now, and he becomes a believer, and Paul wants to take him on a missionary journey. It says this, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now see, here's the thing. Circumcision isn't good or bad. But in one case, Paul says, ain't no way. And in another case, he says, sure, let's do it. See, this is the whole point. He's he's making decisions. His mind has been transformed. He's got a renewed mind. He's able to figure out what is the will of God. Now, you may want to know, well, why did he do one and the other? Why did he see it as wrong to circumcise Titus, but he saw it as right to circumcise Timothy? Well, I can give you my thoughts. With Titus, the pressure was coming from false brothers, and they wanted him to do it as a work. Right? To earn righteousness. What does Paul say? If it's by works, then grace is no longer grace. Paul says, there's no way I'm going to allow that to happen. It was a theological issue. He saw it as, as he's free. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're not dragging me back into the slavery of the law. Absolutely not. And he said no, and he was right. But with Timothy, it was completely different. It had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. He, see, Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile. And the Jews are going to want to know, well, which one do you identify with? Do you identify with Jews or do you identify with Gentiles? And the fact that he was circumcised would make them think, oh, you're a, you're a Jew, and they would listen to him. They would let him in. Whereas if he's not circumcised, he's going, they're going to treat him as a Gentile. So it was, it was literally what he was doing was removing a stumbling block of the gospel. He saw it as a missionary strategy, Okay. See, here's the thing. He used discernment. Let's read Romans 12, 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God for you, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We, we should be doing this every single day. Every single day. Discernment is when you and I find God's will through applying biblical truth to particular situations in our lives. We should be doing it every single day, every single day. But folks, you can't even begin to do it until you've been transformed by a renewed mind. If you don't have a new mind, if you don't have a changed mind, you don't have a prayer. I'm sorry. That's what he said. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can know what God's will is in each one of these situations. Let's read it again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind now the word transform comes from the greek word metamorphosis which is where we get the word metamorphosis we know that the changing of a caterpillar to a butterfly it changes from one thing to something completely different okay it's a metamorphosis it's a transformation now let me tell you what it's not i just want to make sure you guys understand this Transformation is not switching from a list of bad things you've been doing to a list of good things. I can't tell you how many people out there think that's what Christianity is, that you used to do bad things, and now you got to start doing good things. Let me tell you, a caterpillar that did bad things and switches over to doing good things is still a caterpillar. There's no transformation there. You've just moved from the flesh to the law is all you've done. You haven't changed anything, really. That's what the Pharisees did. Christian transformation is a change from the inside out. 2 Corinthians five sixteen, Paul says this, our inner self is being, there's that word, renewed, changed day by day. And that change does not come from a list of behaviors. You can write down a list of behaviors that you're going to do every day, and you can do them every single day, and you can, you can, you can man, I'm, I'm going to do this and it won't change you one iota. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change your mind. The letter kills, Paul says, but the Spirit gives life. In Paul, in Galatians 5, when Paul lists out the works of the flesh, he lists out a long list of drunkenness and thievery and and, uh, ungrateful and unthankful and all of these things. He doesn't turn around and say, but the works of the Spirit are... Does he? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit. See, the Spirit is changing us on the inside, and what comes out on the outside is just the fruit of what He's doing. See, this is why the Christian life is described as free. Jesus said, You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Paul said this, It is for freedom He has set us free. You see, somebody that's got a list of behaviors over here, and I know people like this. got a list of all these good things they need to be doing but they don't deep down inside really want to do those things see that's just another form of slavery doing what you don't want to do is slavery freedom is when you become the kind of person that loves to do the things you ought to do you're changed from that old caterpillar to that butterfly who absolutely loves to do the righteousness of god that's what i want to be I don't want this life to be a fight. I don't want it to be a battle to do the right thing. I want to be changed into the person that loves to do those things. In fact, let's use that as a definition of transformation. Transformation is being changed to the point where you love to do what you ought to do. That's transformation. Now, you get that done... You're on your way. You got it made when you love to do those things. Now let's go back to the verse. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world put you in this box and say, you got to act this way and be this way and behave this way and, and, and do things our way. Don't do that. Be transformed. Become a person that loves to do what you ought to do. Okay, Paul, that sounds good. how do I do that? By the renewal of your mind. By changing the way you think, changing the way you think, i 'm going to say it one more time. I can't what, what we 're going to say the rest of this lesson, I cannot stress enough how important this is, how foundational it is again if you if you're tired of being just a nominal christian, if you're, if you're just sick of that, you want to live the abundant life this verse is going to tell you how. If you long to become the kind of person who loves to do what they ought to do, this verse is going to tell you how. If you want to be those things, and folks, listen, you've got to give yourself with all your might to the thing that the Bible said will produce that, and that is the renewal of your mind. I mean, it's sitting right there in front of you. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I'm going to tell you how to do it in just a moment but you've got to give your utter attention to that. You can't just walk out of here and say, well, that was good. That was entertaining. No, you got to walk out of here and give yourself to the renewal of your mind. All right? So, let's ask a few questions here. Have you ever asked yourself, the Bible talks about our mind needing to be changed. What's wrong with the mind we're born with? You ever ask yourself that? What's wrong with our natural mind that we come into this world with? Paul tells us in Romans one twenty three. He said this, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Can you imagine? We have, every one of us, traded the glory of the immortal God for us. Images that look like us. Things that entertain us. Things that give us pleasure. We've all made that change in our life. And the Bible says because of that, Romans 1.28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. The word debased means useless, worthless, broken, fallen, foolish. Our mind is broken. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The world understands we got problems. Everybody's got problems. Everybody. And if you just leave people to themselves, they will sink into levels of depravity that you can't even imagine. So the world says, well, we know what the answer is. The answer is education. We just need to educate people, right? We need to educate our kids. Educate them about racism. Educate them about drugs. Educate them about sex education. Just educate. Give them more information. Folks, the problem is not information. The problem is not knowledge. We've got more knowledge today than we've ever had in our lifetime. That's not the problem. The problem is we've got a broken mind. We've got a mind that don't know how to process the information correctly. You see, in short, our mind is anti-God. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 1 Corinthians two fourteen. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, our minds, by nature, are self-worshipping minds. We come into this world and it's all about us. What do I want? What do I need? What do I think? It's all about us. That's the constant battle we fight. By the way, you know this is true. Just think about this. How hard do you have to work to make time for God in your life? And how easy is it to make time for you? Do you have to work to make time for yourself? No, it's just as easy. Just just go with it, man. But you've got to set aside time for God. You've got to make time for Him. you got to fight. To, to, is everybody with me? It's true for every single one of us. That's the battle because our natural mind is anti-God. It's all about self. Our new mind is the one that puts God first. See, our natural minds are bent toward making the things that we create or that we do or that we achieve we see those things as more worthy of praise than we do the infinite, immortal God of this universe. Now, here's where you've got to see the connection with verse 1. What does verse 1 say? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. But I've got a mind that wants to worship me. I've got a mind that wants to worship me. And Paul saying, no, worship God give it all to God and my mind is 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 anti my natural mind's pulling me the other way do you see why this needs to be changed this has to be changed for me to be able to present my body as a living sacrifice to live that holy lifestyle in order for us to do verse 1 our minds have to be changed from self-worshipping to God-worshipping minds that's the renewal, that's the change that has to happen. Now I'm going to ask a few questions, and I'll wind this down. Number one, how does this process work? How does this process work? I've already said it one time, I'm going to say it again. First and foremost, this is a process and a work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it. Just, just get that clear in your minds right now. You cannot do it. It is a work completely of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness... But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and what? Renewal, changing of the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That's what he does. Okay? So, it's the Spirit's job to renew us, to change our mind. What does he actually do to do that? What does he actually do to renew our mind? Well, let's go back to our fundamental problem. What has all mankind done? We've traded the exchange, the glory of the immortal God for self. What the Spirit wants to do is put that back right. He wants you to trade self back to the glory of the immortal God. He wants to put it back the way it should have been in the beginning. That's His aim. That's what He's trying to do. You see, our minds cannot see God... These natural minds just can't see God as glorious and worthy of our lives. And the Spirit wants to change that. That He wants to give you a new mind that sees God as infinitely more valuable than anything on this earth. And that's His aim to do it. Listen to this scripture. This scripture is unbelievable. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, that's what the, the Spirit does, He pulls the veil down. He gets rid of the blinders. We all with unveiled face beholding what? The glory of the Lord. What happens when we do that? We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. You see, it, all, it doesn't all happen at one time. That's the beauty of it, man. You get to go through this life and every day He, he shows you a little bit more of His glory and a little bit more of His glory, and a little bit more of His glory, and I'm being changed, and I'm being transformed, and I'm being changed, a little, just one degree at a time. And look, watch what it says at the end, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is is, is picking our head up and saying, Look, look at Him. Behold the glory of the Lord. And folks, listen to me. This is exactly what your enemy is trying to stop. You see, the Spirit is revealing the glory of God to us because when He does that, listen, When you, you're like that man in the field. That says that there's a, Jesus told a parable of the man that discovered a treasure and he covered it back up and he went and sold everything he had to buy that field because he saw the thing that was buried in that ground was worth more than anything he had. That's what happens when you really see the glory of God. You will realize that's worth more than my home. That's worth more than my cars. That's worth more than my family. That's worth more than my life it's worth everything but you've got to see that and that's what the spirit does and when you see the glory of god if you really see how precious he is and how holy he is and how majestic he is and how valuable he is and how worthy he is that changes everything especially the way you think it changes the way you think you see we begin to we go through life and it's all me first me first all of a sudden you find yourself it's god first what does God want me to do in this situation? What does God think about me? What is, what's God's will for me to do in this situation? See, that's how the mind is renewed. It's, a, it's as simple as this. Your mind is renewed. Your mind is changed by gazing on the glories of Christ. Now listen, I said it before. The Spirit does this in two ways. This is so awesome to me. The first thing the Spirit does is He exposes our mind to Christ-exalting truth. He's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. Fourteen years ago, the Lord, uh, 14 years, 14 months ago, the Lord put it on my heart to teach through Romans. Fourteen months go by, and we make it to this verse on uh, October the 20th of 2021, and he has you sitting right here, right now. And he says, here it is. Here it is. Look at the glory of God. Change your mind. Change the way you think. Gaze on the glory of Christ. That's what he does. He leads us into Christ-exalting truth. And the second thing he does, he helps us understand it. We don't want to be like the seed that falls on the path and the birds and the enemy comes and steals it away. We want to understand it and produce fruit from it. See, this is what I said earlier. This is what the enemy's trying to stop. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this, Satan has blinded the minds of those who can't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Here it is. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is pulling our veil down. And He's showing us Jesus. He's showing us the glory of Jesus. And He's helping us understand how valuable and worthy and majestic He is. And Satan is over there blinding people to that same glory. The Holy Spirit's opening our eyes The the, the Satan is trying to blind. See, it's all about seeing the glory of Christ. It changes everything. Satan knows if they don't see the glory of Christ, if they don't appreciate who he is, they'll never be saved. They'll never become anything. We don't want to be that way, right? Beholding the glory of Christ renews the mind, transforms the life, and guess what it produces? Worship. True worship. Not Sunday morning singing only. Not Sunday morning raising of the hands only. But a life that's laid on the altar. ...to live a holy lifestyle. So, this is what you want to know, right? What do we do? What do we do? What's our part in this? Well, what we we do, what we're responsible to do... ...we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The first thing we do is we go after truth. We go after Christ-exalting truth. I congratulate you for being here tonight... ...because you're already doing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Go after truth... Go after truth. Listen, read your Bible. Not not as a duty, not something to check off your list. Well, I did that. No, open that Bible and look at it. What does this say about Jesus? How does this glorify Jesus? What does this teach me about Jesus? Look at it every it's all about him. Old Testament from Genesis to the New Testament of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Meditate on pursue truth. Read your Bible. Listen, you you sit down to watch YouTube. That's fine. You can watch cat videos or you can watch Jesus videos. Which one are you going to do? Pursue truth. Pursue truth. Go after it. Give your uttermost attention. And finally, you got to pray. 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 Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Holy Spirit, turn me into a person that loves to do what they ought to do. Holy Spirit, help me discern. Give me a renewed mind so I can see Your will in everyday situations. Listen, what a promise we've got in the Bible. 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Trust me, it is His will for you and I to see the glory of God. So pray. You don't have to say, Lord, I don't know if it's Your will for me to see the glory of Christ. No, it is His will. And you're asking according to His will, and He will do it. But ask Him. Ask Him to do that. God, transform me into a person who loves to do what I ought to do. I'm going to open up the altar here for just a few minutes, and then I'll close in prayer. But I just got a feeling, I mean, there's got to be some people here tonight that this is spoken to. We need a changed mind. Too many of us are accepting being just a nominal Christian, just getting through life. Man, that's just, there's so much more. There's so much more. What a, what a, we have, I can't even express it sometimes, the mercy and the grace that's been extended to you and I to live the life that we live. Now, let's make the most of it. Let's make the most of it. We're only here for a while if you want to come and spend a few minutes in prayer um and then we'll uh we'll close uh with uh, a final chuck did you have anything okay let's pray father lord we thank you tonight for your word what an incredible awesome word it is and god we just uh god we don't want to be hypocrites We don't want to be that. I know these people. I've known many of them for a long, long time, and we do not want to be hypocrites. We want to live the abundant life that you have for us. We want to be transformed. We want our mind to be renewed. We want to walk every single day knowing the will of God. But God, to do that, we've got to gaze upon the glories of Christ in ways that we haven't in the past We've got to go deeper into the glories of Christ than we've ever gone before if we want to be different. God, I ask you for myself. God, help me do that. Transform me. Change me into a person that loves to do with all of my being, loves to do what I ought to do. God, I want to put my body. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to live a holy lifestyle, but I need you, Spirit. I need you to do the work in me. I'm asking you to do it. I'm praying that you'll do it. And I'm praying that you'll do it for everyone in this room, for everyone that has a heart's desire to be different, has a heart's desire to be better, not because it's going to get them saved, just because they want to do that for you, just because they want to return that service, that worship, for the mercies that you've bestowed upon them. Holy Spirit, I ask you to answer that prayer. Yes, yes, and amen, and amen tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.